In Acts, the second chapter, we looked at this particular chapter a couple of weeks ago in that lesson, and we'll be returning to it, but we're going to focus this, this morning on Acts chapter 2 and verse thir number 38. If you remember the way I outlined Peter's sermon was that the introduction is actually the miracle that was explained that particular occasion, as well as the, the prophecy of Joel. He explained that, that that miracle that day was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And then the body of the sermon was really four points. Jesus was approved of God. And we noted that in that particular lesson that he was approved by the miracles, wonders, and signs, which he did. And then he was delivered up and put to death, verse 23. And then Jesus was raised from the dead. And Peter actually spent much time with that and pointed out that it was fulfillment of the prophecy from the book of Psalms. And then the last point is that Jesus was exalted to the throne of God. And then the conclusion was verse number 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus both Lord and Christ. And we spent time in looking at the word Lord, and we also spent time looking at the word Christ. Now we could have said much more about that, but the word Lord simply means ruler. He is the ruler of the universe, that he has the authority over the universe. And the word Christ is actually the word anointed or the anointed one. And that has reference to the fact that he was the anointed of God and that he served then as a prophet and as a priest and as a king over spiritual Israel. Now, they then, verse number 37, said, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, that is an extremely important question that they ask. They weren't asking about various other matters, but they were asking about what can they do to take care of the crime that they had committed by sacrificing and offering up Jesus upon the cross. In other words, they cried out, remember, crucify him, crucify him. They said that he wasn't worthy of life. They took his life. And now they wanted to know what can we do in order to take care of this sin that they had committed, this crime that they had committed. And in much the same way, we cry out to him when times of sober thought, when we times of earnest contemplation, we cry out to him, what can we do in order to have our sins remitted? Well, Peter answered that in verse number 38. Then said Peter unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to look at this, and we're going to break it down in different parts, and I tried to break it down in the way I put it on the screen here, at this particular uh, screen. But nonetheless, we're going to look at it at its different part. The first is what I, re well, before we do that, they, we need to note that the response that Peter gave is timeless. Now, what, what I'm really addressing is this. There are some people that will say, well, the Bible's old-fashioned. It's out of date. 
It's not for everybody. Or some will say they'll want to get rid of this particular verse and say that's not for modern man, that was for them. But Peter's response was timeless. It was for all eternity and we will be judged accordingly. And it is included in a timeless book. Though men in various generations and in various times have tried to destroy the Bible, and yet the Bible continues on and lives. It is a timeless book. And in fact, not only will it exist all the way through this life and in the world, in this world, but it'll be the standard of judgment on Judgment Day. It is a timeless book. And it also is from a changeless God. Now, looking at the idea of the changeless God, when we look at the scriptures, it is from God Almighty. He is a changeless God. He is the same yesterday and today and forever, though that was said about Jesus. But that could be said about God the Father or the Holy Spirit. It is certainly from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It is also from God the Son. And what we mean by that is in John the 14th chapter and verse 26, when Jesus was in the upper room with the apostles, he then uh, gave them commandment that he would send the comforter to them. And the, and the comforter would remind them of the things that Jesus taught them and would bring to their remembrance all that he had said unto them. And so the comforter then would be brought upon them. And then also it is from the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter 1 verses 20, uh, actually 20 and 21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the things that Peter wrote, we must follow, and we must follow the commands that he gave if we want to have the remission of sins. So the first thing then that we'll notice as far as Peter's command, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the appeal. Now what I mean by the appeal is the command to repent and to be baptized. Now clearly there's two parts of this. The first part is the idea of repent. Now Brother Ross mentioned a week ago, I believe on Wednesday night, that, or maybe it was this past Wednesday, I don't remember which now, that the word repent literally means to have a change of mind. And that is true. But that's really where it only begins. Sometimes people have a change of mind for various reasons. They have a change of mind because maybe it's caused some action or something to happen against them. Or a change of mind because of of different circumstances that they find themselves in. And it is true that it is a change of mind, but just simply a change of mind about things that we have done is not enough. There has to be also a change of action. And you look at the topic of repentance, and actually I've written an article that will appear in the, Lord willing, will appear in the bulletin within a few weeks 
about repentance, but it also includes that change of action. And we have to change our action. If we have a changed mind about something, then we it ought to reflect in the way that and the things that we do. We ought to change our action as well. And it is interesting when you look at David and the circumstances situation that he found himself in when he went down to get the ark that we talked about in our Bible class this morning. What did David do when he realized that he had done something against God? And notice that um, Uzzah was struck down because of his error. That's what the text actually said, because of his error. In other words, they did not follow God's word. And David, of course, was upset at the beginning, but the fact is... David must have went back to the scriptures to find out what he needed to do in order to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem or to Jerusalem. And so David then the second time, because of what we learned from Chronicles, he went back with the Levites. And the Levites then must have carried the Ark to the city of Jerusalem as it was prescribed in the book of Exodus as we saw in our class. So notice David had a changed mind, not immediately. It came with a little bit of thought, but then he also had a change of action. But that results then in a change of relationship. If we will do what God says, we'll have a change of relationship with God. That's what repentance really leads to ultimately is that change of relationship. But then let us spend some time with the idea of being baptized. Now, the first thing that we might note, because the misunderstanding of baptism within the religious world, we need to understand there are two basic things that make up Bible baptism. And the first is the mode of baptism, which, which is a burial in water. Now, Paul made it extremely clear in Romans chapter 6 in verses actually 1 through verse 8, uh, that we are buried with Christ in baptism and raised up to walk in newness of life. And I always think about, as far as the water is concerned, the Ethiopian eunuch. When Philip the evangelist taught the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts the 8th chapter, the end of the 8th chapter, the eunuch, as he was being taught, saw a body of water and he said, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? So baptism is associated with water, and baptism is a burial in water. And so those two verses combined together, and of course Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip then baptized them. If it was only a sprinkling, or if it was only a pouring, then they could have done that from the chariot. But they went down to the, to the water, and he baptized them in the water. Now another thought concerning baptism is that we must recognize that baptism is the new birth. You remember in John the third chapter, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And the same came to Jesus by night and, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now clearly Nicodemus misunderstood. Nicodemus said 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's the new birth. Now Jesus went on to say in that particular passage, he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That's what Nicodemus was talking about, being born of the flesh. Enter a second time into his mother's womb, he did not understand. But Jesus said, that which is born of spirit is spirit. So Nicodemus needed to understand that we must be born again. And that is the new birth. Well, it's a new birth in a, because it's a spiritual birth. And we then, when we're raised up to walk in newness of life, as Paul talked about, which we've already referred to, in Romans chapter 6, we're raised up to walk in newness of life. We're no longer living for self, but we're living for God. We've been born again. And then I, to keep the bees there, I put bathed in sin. But I was really thinking about the idea of washing. You know, when we bathe, what do we do? We wash the dirt away. And in baptism, what do we do? We wash our sins away. Ananias was told to go to Paul or Saul. And he went to the street called Straight. And he met there Paul. And he then first healed him of his blindness. And then he says... And why tarriest thou? This is Acts 22 and verse 16. And why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Now we don't believe that nobody that I know of believes that the water actually washes away sin. No, what washes away sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. He took upon him our sin or the guilt of our sin. And he died upon that cross as we were reminded a little while ago in the Lord's Supper. And so it is not the water. I always think about a brother that I knew. He was the janitor of this particular church. And he would also have to be the one that would clean the baptistry once in a while. And one day I was in there and he was kind of a little bit of a jokester. And he, he said, well, I'm draining the baptistry. I'm washing away all those sins that have been washed away in that water. Well, he was obviously joking. It's not the water that washes away sin, but it's the act of a good conscience. Now, what produces a good conscience? When we disobey God, does that produce a good conscience? Well, of course not. I mean, when we disobey God, we violate our own conscience and we feel guilty about it. But when we do what God says and we do what He's commanded, by being immersed into Christ, we then have a good conscience. And so that's what takes place in baptism. When we contact that blood and we have our sins remitted, then we have that good conscience and our sins are washed away as a result. Well, the next thing we get is the addressees in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And the addressees, he says, every one of you. Now, don't please don't misunderstand that. It's not every single person because, and it really cannot be every single person. I mean, the fact is, when we talk about this, it's, he was addressing those who heard. 
who heard the preaching of the gospel that particular day. Every one of you were those that heard the gospel, but it's more than just that. There may have been others that were there that particular day that simply did not receive the message of the apostles. And they, because they had rejected that message, they weren't the ones that were that needed to, well, they needed to repent, but they, they weren't ones that were candidates for a baptism. In other words, if you don't listen to what God says, God's not going to listen to you. That's the first thing. And he certainly is not going to appeal to anybody to be baptized that will not repent and that will not listen. They're lost in sin and they continue to be lost in sin. But then also, it's those who comprehended. In other words, what about the little children there that did not comprehend? What about the babies that could not comprehend? What about the, the quote, mentally challenged that could not comprehend? Were those part of those that were called that day to be immersed into Christ? Well, of course not. No, it's those who comprehended. In other words, in all of that, what I'm really saying is teaching always preceded obedience. Teaching was never, or obedience rather, was never preceded to teaching. If a person will not hear, then they are not the ones that are being called to be baptized. It's those who have been taught and those who have comprehended what's been taught. The next thing that I chose to look at is the authority of this particular day. Now, the authority is in the name of, of Jesus Christ. Now, in the name of means, it really means by the authority of. Now, I've used the illustration of when I was in high school, uh, being down in a town close to us, I was actually pumping gas in a car come a police car came speeding by and pulled into that gas station and this man comes running across there and he says stop in the name of the law well I found it interesting I was listening to a tape not too long ago and brother Alan Hires who served as a judge down in Tennessee he was talking about the same thing and he was talking about it in the sense of the police going to an apartment and they're beating on the door and they'll say, open up in the name of the law. Knock, knock, knock. Open up in the name of the law. What's that mean? By the authority of the law. That's what this particular phrase has to do with. And so we need to recognize the authority. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 18 and following, all authority hath been given unto me. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And that word power can be translated and, is, and in some translations is translated authority and probably ought to be translated authority. Jesus has all authority. And then he went on to say, go even to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that, well, that's uh, Mark 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. In this particular place, in Matthew 28, in verses 19, he said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believe, um, I went back over to Mark. Sorry, the, the, the uh, confusion is there for just a moment. Uh, that they were to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so Jesus has all authority. And in Colossians 3 and verse 17, there the Bible says, and Paul uh, uh, wrote, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Whatever we do in word or deed. Now what is left besides words and deeds? Words would be the things that we speak, conversations that we have. Deeds are our actions. And whatever we do, we are to do it in the name of or by the authority of Christ. In other words, it must be authorized. Well, from this particular passage that we're studying from Acts 2 and verse 38, what were they do? They were to repent and they were to be baptized. But how were they to repent and why were they to repent? And what authority gave them to repent? And how were they to be baptized? And by what authority were they to be baptized? Well, they were to repent and be baptized by the authority of Christ. Now we get to the next thing is the aim. Now what I mean by aim is the purpose. And I tried to maintain those A's, as you can see. And the purpose was for the remission of sins. Now, the word remission is not a word that we normally use, although we do use it within the medical field. I mean, how many times have you heard someone being in remission from their cancer? And it's great and joyful news when people say, well, they're in remission. Well, remission, as far as God is concerned, is to take away sin and to remove it or to dismiss you, dismiss you from sin. And the word for there shows purpose or aim. That's not like the denominational world. They will say, well, it's because of remission of sins. In other words, you're baptized because you've already had remission of sins. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's actually talking about something in advance. In other words, and, the, and literally, it, as far as the original language is concerned, it's into the remission of sins, into that state of having remission of sins. And so it shows purpose. It shows aim. It shows the fact that the baptism and the repentance is to accomplish something. And that purpose in a, and the accomplishment is the remission of sins. Now, remission means to dismiss or to release. And so God will release us from our sins. He will dismiss us from our sins as a result of doing what he said. Now, sin has bondage, and I think we all need to recognize that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6 and verse number 23. But then also in Romans 8 and verse 2, he said that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, we've been released. We've been dismissed from the law of sin and death. But turn with me, if you will, to John the, the 8th chapter in verse 32. Because I think there is something significant there that we need to consider in this particular passage. Now, Jesus made in verse 32 a significant statement that many of us have remembered from youth and remember because we've memorized it numerous times in verse 32. 
He says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But I'm always reminded of one particular fellow that was a gospel preacher, and in his lesson, he said, you know, it appears the Jews had We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Well, they had been in bondage to different, uh, different uh, nations throughout their history. They were in bondage to Egypt, and Moses brought them out of the land of Egypt. They were in bondage at different times to different near uh, tribes of people or nations of people that were in the Palestine area. They were in bondage to the Assyrians. They were in bondage to the Babylonians. They were in bondage to the Medo-Persian Empire. They were in bondage to the Greeks. And they were currently in bondage to the Romans. The Romans are the ones that ruled over Palestine in the first century. That's why Pilate had the authority that he had. That's why Pilate could sentence him, him to death and the Jews could not sentence Jesus to death. Pilate did it. Pilate was a Roman authority. And so the Jews, then they had a short memory and they said that, that we've never been in bondage to any man. man. But notice what 34 says in, in, Rome, in uh, uh, John the 8th chapter. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. In other words, he wasn't talking about political bondage. They had short memories as far as political bondage was, was concerned, but Jesus was not talking about a political bondage. He was talking about the bondage of sin. So sin has bondage. And receiving the remission of sins is being released from the bondage of sin. Now go to Romans chapter 6 and verse number 17. But thanks be to God that, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now I think the fair question is, from this particular passage, what is that form of doctrine? I know that different ones will say different things and some will say, well, it's the pattern of doctrine that, that Paul wrote to Timothy. I don't, I don't think that that's right. I believe we have to put text back in the context, a text out of context, a pretext to error. What was the pattern shown in Romans chapter 6? It was to be buried with Christ in baptism and raised up to walk in newness of life. If we have been faithful and obedient and following the, the pathway and the pattern that God has provided for us, He will. If we are obedient to that form of doctrine and we're obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine, we will be delivered from our sin. And the last thing that we have is I titled it as aid, although that can be misunderstood. But in this particular passage, he said, And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is the second promised blessing. The first promised blessing is the, the remission of sins. The second promised blessing is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the parallel is Acts 3 and verse 19. 
Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, I don't think we can ignore the parallels between the two verses. Repent ye in, in Acts 3 and verse 19. Repent in Acts 2 verse 38. And the uh, be converted is to be baptized in Acts 2 38. Be converted in, in Acts 3 and verse 19. The remission of sins is clearly the same as having our sins remitted. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit is the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. How does God refresh us? Well, God refreshes us by the Spirit that dwells within us. And there's no doubt that the Spirit dwells within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in us. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. But it really is, is about the, that He refreshes us by the Spirit-inspired revelation of God's Word. When we read the Scriptures and we understand the Scriptures and act upon the Scriptures, then we have the aid of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're following the Spirit's guide and it aids us in our lives when we, when we do what the Scriptures say. I wish we had time, but our time is actually up. And I wish we had time we could look at all the different things that talk about what the Word does and what the Spirit does. And you know what we would find within Scripture? What the Word does and what the Spirit does is the same thing. That's what we find. In other words, the Spirit works through the Word. And the Word then gives us the guidance that the Spirit provides for us. So when we go back to our text of, of Acts chapter 2, we saw that Jesus is Lord and Christ. He was approved of God. We saw He was delivered and put to death. We saw that He was raised from the dead. We saw that He was exalted to the throne of God. And we saw that He is both Lord and Christ. Now we ought to ask the same question. And I realize that most of us that are here are members of the Lord's church. But, you know, we need to be reminded of these things so that we can teach others also concerning these things. But there are a few that have never obeyed the Lord. And so we are asking the question, what must we do? But we don't want to answer it with what I think or what you think. Because, you know, what I've found over the years is I've sat down with numerous people and ask or have them read a passage and I said, well, what about this particular question? What must we do? And they'll then start talking about what they think. That's not what we're looking for. And that's what I, sometimes I'll have to remind people. And sometimes even in the kids class, I'll have to remind them. I'm not looking for what you think. I'm looking at what does the text say? We're asking the question, what must we do to be saved? What does the text say? Well, the text is very clear. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, God gave us the answer to the question. Now the, now the question then becomes, Am I willing or are you willing to obey what God said.
This morning we want to offer the invitation. We desire to offer that invitation because we do not want anyone to leave here without being saved. We want you to be right with God. Do you need to respond? If so, won't you come as together we stand and sing to encourage you.